Now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You can be seated. Well, many of you know that our family camps once or twice a year. We did some camping this summer. And um, we have learned, Josie and I have learned through the years what we need to bring for camping trips. And we've learned the hard way. Uh, We have learned that if you want a good night's sleep, you need to bring your pillow. A duffel bag is not very comfortable to try to fashion into a pillow and get a good night's sleep. Uh, If you want a cast iron skillet meal, we like to do, it's helpful to bring the cast iron skillet. We found that out the hard way. And uh, we've also learned that no matter how beautiful the setting is where you're camping, mosquitoes can ruin it. And so you need to bring your bug spray. Prepare for the trip by bringing what you need. The Bible teaches us that we are on a journey from here to eternity. We're on a pilgrimage. We're on a camping trip. This is not our final destination. And there are things that we need to sustain us on this journey to eternity. And we cannot, unlike when it comes to camping, we cannot provide these things ourselves. Jesus teaches us that we need to look to God our Father to provide what we need. And we receive the things that we need for this journey through prayer. And we've been talking about prayer. We looked a couple of weeks ago at the Lord's Prayer. The first part of it is focusing us on God, who God is. God's name is worthy to be praised. He is King. His kingdom come. And we want His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, after focusing ourselves on God, then we focus on our needs within the context of understanding who our God is. And we pray for what we need. And here's what Jesus says that we need from God. We need His provision. We need His pardon. We need His protection. We need His provision. Give us this day our daily bread. In Jesus' time and place, of course, bread was a staple, and it was called the staff of life, the thing on which you lean, the thing on which you depend. If you did not have bread, you were in trouble. It was part of what sustained your life in those days. And uh, other cultures, other times might use different food as an image of a staple, like in Asia, they might talk about, well, rice. Maybe a paraphrase in Asia would be, give us this day our daily rice. It's the idea that we look to God to sustain our life. And Eugene Peterson points out that this is an important petition to think about because it's the only petition that has to do with uh, our bodily needs, material reality. And that God cares about our bodily needs. And he said, you know, you don't go to the store and ask for the forgiveness of sins. Or where can I get deliverance from evil? You go to the store 
to get bread for your toast and your turkey sandwiches. And God cares about our daily life. And Jesus teaches us that we're to look to God to provide for our material well-being. And as we pray, give us this day our daily bread, we are to trust that God will provide for us in this life until He calls us home. We're to trust in the living God to provide for us. And of course, that doesn't mean that we aren't to work. A scripture teaches us that we're to work to earn our bread. And we're to plan for when our time of working is over that we might have something to live on. Work and planning is a wise way to live. But ultimately, even our ability to work and plan is a gift from God. And haven't we seen that in, 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 in our experience over these last couple of years during the pandemic? That life is a gift. That our, our health is a gift. And that life is precious. And our health is precious. And so we look to God to sustain us in the midst of this life. And we thank God for the gift of life and health and all the ways that He's provided for us. So trusting that God will provide for our daily needs, that God will provide what we need to sustain our life, is an antidote to one of the great problems of our day, which is worry and anxiety. And that's where Jesus goes after this section on prayer. He begins to talk about anxiety to his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, I don't want you to worry about these material things like what shall we eat and what shall we drink and what shall we wear? And he says the pagans, the Gentiles, those who really don't understand who God is and his character... Those people run after those things. They're constantly thinking about pursuing food and clothing and shelter. And it consumes them with anxiety. He says, no, I don't want you, my disciples, to be consumed with that kind of anxiety. Don't you know that our Father feeds the birds and clothes the lilies of the field? And how much more valuable are you to Him than the birds and the lilies? God will provide. And I wonder if you've seen that in your life. I wonder if you can recall times in your life where you look to God for His blessing and His provision. And you can, as the old hymn say, count your blessings, which is a good practice to do, and name them one by one. You know, I'm, I am here in this church because of God's miraculous provision. God opened a door... That was impossible for me to open at a time when our family was needy and we didn't know where we were going to turn. And God provided this. I've seen God's. How about you? Have you seen God's provision? And if you're in a place even now where you're worried about the future and there is, again, so much anxiety in our culture today about what the future holds. We can be anxious about our family. We can be anxious about our work. We can be anxious about the government. We can be anxious about those things that have to do with security in this life. And Jesus is saying, trust your Father to provide those things. He will provide until He calls you home. So that's the first thing that we need from the Lord. Jesus says here, we should pray about God providing those things that sustain our very life. 
And then he turns to these spiritual things that we need. And that is pardon for sin. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And Jesus describes sin here as debt. As debt. When you are in debt to somebody, uh, you, you have an obligation to them, right? You owe them something. And when, in the moral realm, sometimes we, we speak about it in this language of debt and obligation, if you think about it. You know, if you have offended somebody in some way, let's say you flew off the handle and chewed somebody out and it was completely inappropriate, you're going to feel, if you have a fully functional conscience, if you feel moral guilt, you're going to feel guilty about that and you should. Because you, you offended them. You wronged a person. And, and, and sometimes we go to that person and we'll say something like, I owe you. See, that's that language. An apology. I owe you an apology. Or somebody's released from prison and they've served their prison time. And you'll hear people say, well, he paid his debt to society. There's that language of moral obligation. And this is what Jesus is saying. It's like, we, in our sin, have offended God. All of us have wronged God. We have not loved or served Him as He deserves. We've not loved Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we've not loved our neighbor as ourselves. And every day, we fail to live up perfectly to this perfect law that He gives us. So every day our debt in this sense is increasing. It's like the national debt calculator. You've seen that? It just keeps going. Because we don't live up to this perfect law perfectly. And the problem is is that our debt is so great that there's no way that we could pay it. And so our only hope is debt forgiveness. And that's what God offers us in Jesus Christ. Jesus, when he instituted the Eucharist, he said, this cup is the blood of the new covenant, my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of your sins. And that word forgiveness, one shade of meaning of that word is debts canceled. So every time we come to the Lord's table, we're remembering that God forgave our debt. He does not hold it against us. Jesus paid off your debt. Have you trusted that today? Have you trusted today that, that the debt has been paid? Take the forgiveness of sins that God offers you, the cancellation of debt, and claim that for yourself, and you will have peace with God. It's a wonderful feeling. If you've had this feeling of paying off your debts, you feel free, you feel at peace. And there may be somebody here today that doesn't feel peace with God because they think that they've got to pay off the debt, that they've got to do something. It's been done at the cross of Christ. Claim it, receive it, and thank God for it even today. And when we have been forgiven by God, then God calls us to forgive others. Doesn't he? The forgiven are to be forgivers. And Jesus makes that clear. Forgive us our debts, listen, as we forgive our debtors. And he comes back to this at the end. And he uses a different word for sin. Trespasses. Our Father will forgive 
your trespasses as you forgive others their trespasses. So Jesus makes a link here between the experience of our forgiveness of God and our willingness to forgive others. And this is a sobering teaching. It calls us to be forgivers. If God has been merciful to me, I need to show mercy to others. If God has paid off an infinite debt that I could never pay myself, then I need to forgive those who hurt me, those who've offended me. I, so is there anybody, I'll just be very straightforward, is there anybody in, in your life that you are holding a grudge against? You are holding something against that person. Jesus says, forgive us our debts as we forgive those who've sinned against us. Those who are indebted against us. And if we're having a hard time letting go of the grudge and the hatred and the sense of vengeance, we need to remember what God has done for us in Christ. As we go to the cross, as we go to the table of the Lord and ask God for the grace to let that go. I spent quite a bit of time thinking about forgiveness this week. And there's so much that I thought about and there's a lot that I can't say. But one thing that I realize as a pastor is that some people have been hurt so deeply. They have been treated so cruelly and unjustly. They have been abused in such terrible ways that it's difficult sometimes to speak about this concept of this command to forgive because I don't want to put another burden on somebody who's already burdened so much. But I also know that carrying unforgiveness is a burden. And it can destroy people from the inside out. And so I just want to say to people who for whom forgiveness is hard because of the deep pain that they've experienced that the one who is saying this is the one who on the cross said Father forgive them for they know not what they do the one who as he was being tortured and crucified and shamed and mocked is praying forgiveness for the very people who are doing that to them he knows pain he knows shame he knows the trauma. He's experienced it. And he said, amazingly, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. The same one who said that. That spirit lives within you if you're united to him by faith. And he can help you grow in forgiveness. And he can cover. His blood covers imperfect forgiveness. He is the perfect forgiver. We have to be united to Him. We have to ask Him and His Spirit to help us to grow in forgiveness. And leave it to the Lord. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. So we pray for forgiveness. We need to be forgiven and we need to be forgivers. And then we pray for pardon. I mean, excuse me, we pray for spiritual protection. 
the last petition here that we'll look at. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, God does not tempt us to sin. Some people say, why, is God, why are we to pray to the Lord not to tempt us? And I think the Pope made a statement a couple of years ago about this and said this isn't the best translation because God does not tempt people to evil. And James says that, doesn't he? James, I believe it's chapter 1, verse 14, where he says, uh, God is not tempted by evil, nor can God tempt anyone else towards evil. He can't cause someone to do evil things. God is against evil. But God can bring us into a time of testing. And that's another way of translating this word, temptation, a time of testing and trial. And God does allow His people to go through testing. We see it over and over again in Scripture. He allowed His Son to go through testing and trial. God does that in order to strengthen faith. That's what that Hebrews passage is touching on there. That God disciplines those He loves. And He does it to grow us and to produce in us a greater dependence upon Him which will produce a harvest of righteousness. Satan tempts us to destroy faith. God tempts us to strengthen faith. And in the midst of the struggle and the trial, we grow as we look to Him in prayer. It's like working out at the gym or doing your exercises. The muscles have to come up against resistance in order to grow. So I've been told. <laughs> it's strengthened when it comes up against resistance. And so is our faith, the muscle of faith and dependence upon God. As we go through trials, as we go through it, looking to Him in prayer. And then God not only strengthens us, but He will deliver us from evil. And evil here stands for Satan, the evil one. And evil also stands for all things that oppose God, even our sinful desires, our flesh, and the world, and a value system in the world that opposes God and His truth. All that is arrayed against God. We're up against that. And that's why we need to ask God to deliver us from evil. Now, Haddon Robinson, who was a great preacher of preachers, a teacher of preachers, he has some insightful things to say about this point. Deliver us from evil. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. And Haddon Robinson said, the problem is, if we're honest, sometimes we like temptation. Because that's exciting. He said he saw a t-shirt some said something like, uh, Do not lead me into the temptation. I can find the way myself. Or he said, he heard somebody say, If God answers this prayer, our life might get really dull and boring. But Robinson made this point. He said, now that's why we read some books and watch certain kinds of movies and listen to certain kinds of music and entertain certain kinds of thoughts because that's kind of titillating. That's exciting. And we think life is boring without it. But sin is pleasurable for a season. And then there are disastrous consequences to follow. And Robinson says, we want to dance, but we don't want to pay the band. Because there's consequences to giving in to evil, isn't there? And we have a spiritual enemy that loves to destroy. And loves to see people succumb. We have a spiritual enemy 
that loves church conflict, loves to see Christians tearing each other apart. We have a spiritual enemy that loves addiction. We, we have a spiritual enemy that wants to see marriages fall apart and families fall apart. We have a spiritual enemy that is at work in leading people away from hope to despair. He loves destruction. He loves us to have grudges and hatred in our heart. These are the consequences of evil. And so, we need spiritual protection. And God gives us that. God promises that as we look to Him in prayer. He will give us wisdom to discern. He will give us insight to see the consequences of our action. And so we need to pray and look to the Lord to deliver us from evil. I was speaking to somebody this week who said, we live in such crazy and chaotic times. And he said, uh, every day you get online and you, you look at the news and you wonder what crazy and chaotic thing happened today. And how is the world falling apart today? And, and he said, you know, the church needs to help people navigate this. The chaos and the craziness and the confusion. And he's exactly right. And here we have a tool. Prayer. So we don't have to become people who are chaotic and crazy and confused. So we can be a community. See, this is a community prayer. This is not... It's our Father. Christ wants to shape a community of His followers to be people like this. We pray this as individuals, but we pray this as a community, that we want to be a community that is not anxious about our life in this world. And we're not going to act out of anxiety, but we're going to trust our Father will provide. We want to be a community that knows the forgiveness of God so we can forgive others and we're not hateful and vengeful. We want to be a community that grows together in prayer. That will not succumb to evil. We will not let that fill our hearts and our families and our church. But by the grace of God, we will stand and we will experience the deliverance that God can give. That's the kind of, not to give in to the chaos and the confusion and the craziness. But to look to our Father and go to Him for what we need. All the way on this journey. Until he takes us home. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Son who taught us to pray. I pray that we would this week respond in obedience and pray this way. And pray about these things in our lives and in our communities and in our families. And we trust God, as your Son taught us, that you are a good Father who will give us exactly what we need. In Christ's name, Amen.